Hello on the Merits listeners, this is your host David Schultz and we have a little bit of an unusual episode coming uh, to you today. We're going to be hearing from Jordan Rubin and Kimberly Robinson, the hosts of our sister podcast, Cases and Controversies. They cover the Supreme Court. And of course, we're going to be talking about the leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court in a case called Dobbs that could potentially not only overturn the Roe v. Wade precedent, but also introduce the concept of fetal personhood, that fetuses are people that have legal rights. So, Kimberly and Jordan, let's start off with the opinion itself. Uh, We've seen a lot of hot takes uh, on Twitter and elsewhere, Um, but I want to make sure I understand exactly what this means. If this opinion is handed down in its current form, would abortion be legal across the country or would it be up to the states to decide whether abortion is legal? Yes, it'll go back to the states, and so whether abortion is legal will depend on what the state says. I mean, just for a little more of the background here, earlier in the term, the Supreme Court had basically allowed Texas to overrule Roe versus Wade there. So in some ways, this won't be new terrain, but it's going to depend on the state in terms of the legality of it. Obviously, as people point out, abortion will continue to happen. It's just going to be a question of whether it's going to be happening legally. I do want to say, though, I I wonder if this is sort of a bait and switch on the part of conservatives, because, you know, during the oral argument in December, we saw justices like Justice Kavanaugh talking about how since the Constitution is silent on this issue, it's something that we must return to the states. But I noticed in Justice Alito's draft opinion that the wording sort of changed a little bit. It then became the people's elected officials and you know that stands out to me because we've heard some uh some rumors that the gop as a whole as a national party are really hoping that if they can over you know take over after the midterm elections that they'll actually try to ban abortion nationally um so i mean of course that's a long way off as long as president biden is in office and there aren't you know the the votes to override his veto that will not be the law the land. But certainly it seems like there's an effort to even take this away from the states and really make it a national issue. Yeah, I think that gets into whoever is going to be in control of the Congress going forward, that the next frontier at the Supreme Court on the abortion issue is the fetal personhood issue, which this opinion as published, it will still let states let people get abortions. But again, the next frontier in this is affirmatively saying, and again, based on some of the rationale that's in Alito's draft opinion, it lays some of the groundwork in terms of what the state's interest would be in protecting the unborn. That could certainly lead to there being rights for that fetus that's being protected. And so obviously we could see the next step being affirmatively banning abortion aside from just letting states ban abortion or not. This is going to affect a lot of people uh, uh, in a very acute way if this uh, opinion is handed down in the, in the form it is. But I also want to talk about how this is uh, playing out at the court itself and sort of the more inside baseball stuff. First off, um, let's just talk about how this process works. I mean, they issue draft opinions. They circulate them around. They then issue final opinions that we all get to see. This could change, right? This this could change from the time that the draft opinion was written until the final opinion, right? 
It could. And we actually, we got a statement this morning. We're recording this on Tuesday, May 3rd. We got a statement this morning from the Chief Justice that made that point. Um, he confirmed it was an authentic draft, but stressed that, you know, these things um, are really moving a lot. I think one thing that's notable about the draft that we got is that it doesn't include any dissenting opinions. And I am willing to bet 100% that that is not going to be the outcome when we get the final ruling. Um, so yeah, I think a lot about this can change. But Ultimately, the justices are playing a numbers game. And, you know, with the composition of the court being a 6-3 majority court, it seems like they don't really need to move to a middle ground to get Chief Justice Roberts vote to make this um, to make this opinion stick. So I think it's possible. um, But whether or not it's actually going to happen, I'm not I'm, I'm not confident that that's the case. What do you think, Jordan? Do you think that when the opinion is handed down, it'll be word for word what we saw yesterday or Will it be a little different? So whether the exact words are going to be the same, I don't know. But the more important thing, I think, is this, which is that, yes, Roberts is technically right that this isn't the final word, but that doesn't really say anything other than just restating how things work, which is that opinions aren't final until they're issued. But, and this gets a little bit into the speculation of which side of the court is leaking this and why. But what would be very surprising now is, regardless of whatever the words in this opinion are, it would be surprising if this isn't a majority opinion with those same five justices. Just assume for a second that Roberts is not with the majority in some way, that it's the other five Republican appointees. Now they're locked into this position of, in some form, they're overruling Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood against Casey. And so now it will be very weird if there's a different lineup there. The ruling is different in some way. And so that, again, getting into who's doing stuff and why lends itself to the argument that maybe it's coming from the right side of the court to lock that position in. Um, But let's sort of address the elephant in the room here. This draft opinion leaked. Like that in itself is amazing and shocking. Like, I get the sense it's not unprecedented, but like extraordinarily rare. Can you just talk about how rare and how extraordinary this is that this we're actually reading this? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to overstate um, how unique it is to get such a leak from the Supreme Court. Um, There have been leaks here and there, but nothing like a draft opinion being, you know, sent out to the public. Um, Kind of ironically, the outcome in Roe was actually leaked before the opinion um, released. So, you know, we get them from time to time. I think for me, what's notable about this leak is that it seems to go kind of part and parcel with the efforts to overturn Roe and this whole debate about what this newly constituted Supreme Court is doing, what it means for the institution, and what it means for the rule of law. And I think for me, when I first saw the leak, I was thinking that this will not be the end, that it's not just a leak for this one opinion, but it seemed to be a leak that sort of acknowledges the kind of norms that are are being um, either that are being kind of torn down or that the public sees as being turned down. So you, you think we're going to we're going to see more leaks in the future? Well, I mean, I think as long as the Supreme Court continues to kind of take these aggressive moves um, to overturn settled precedent, that it's going to be hard for the public to see them as an institution that's just doing law and that would really require that kind of privacy and loyalty um, that we've seen with the court before. 
What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising. I mean, it wouldn't be more surprising than this, I don't think. I mean, look, we're talking about what's happening next, right? That's like the journalistic thing. What does this mean for the next thing? And so on and so on. But taking what's happening right now on its own terms, like this is it. This is the ball game. This is why Supreme Court confirmation hearings have been contentious for decades. Like it's about Roe. And so, yes, more stuff is probably going to happen after this, but I don't think we can overlook what's happening right now, that this is signaling the significance of what it is. And so, yeah, maybe there'll be more stuff that comes out. And again, though, I think it depends on who is doing this leaking and why. And so maybe there is this assumption at first that it's coming from the left, which I kind of thought too at first, but the more I think about that, the more I wonder how that makes sense. You could argue it either way, and there's maybe rationales coming from both sides of it. But in terms of if we're talking about an escalation, I think the first question has to be escalating from what? Who did the first thing? And as we're sitting here right now, I don't think we can say for sure. Um, and we should say, you know, we don't know who leaked it, but we may find out uh, maybe at some point because the, uh, as the Chief Justice said in his statement this morning, he's directing the Marshal of the Supreme Court to conduct an investigation into the leak. Um, finally, uh, really briefly, let's talk about what this means for the justices themselves, not that they are the most important people here, but I have to imagine that if the collegiality on the court was bad before this, it's going to be really, really bad after this. Um, can you guys both just briefly talk about that, about how what this says about their relationships with each other? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you've kind of made the assumption that collegiality on the Supreme Court is bad. And I, I, I think the justices would probably push back on that. Um, and I think there there's probably going to be a, a fair amount of goodwill between them to assume that they were the ones who were leaking it and that it was probably somebody else. Um, I will say, though, that the effect that it has on their deliberations um, could be significant in that, you know, the whole point of having privacy at this point, why the justices are trying to kind of hammer out their opinions is that you want people to be able to speak really candidly. And that's why it's just the nine justices who are in that room. And it's, you know, not even the clerks, not anybody else, you know, the justices have to go get their own coffee and answer their own phones and stuff like that, you know, be normal people for a little bit. Um, and you wonder what something like this will do to those deliberations. Will it make people's sort of kind of go back to their respective corners and not share some of their thoughts. You know, as Jordan was saying, now it seems like, you know, those five justices who joined on are kind of backed into a corner now if they don't stay the same route. And uh, did they bow to public pressure? Um, so that that will be something I don't think that we will know about, um, at least not for many decades when we start to see, you know, some of the reactions from the current justices on the bench and their papers being released. But um Apart from just the idea of it being a collegial place, I do wonder if it will have some effect on, you know, what the ultimate opinions turn out to be. Jordan, what do you think? I mean, you know, Chief Justice John Roberts used the word betrayal in his statement today. Um, do you think that this is going to have an impact on how they look at each other or or maybe it'll bring them closer together? <laughs> I guess it could. And I mean, yeah, it's a funny thing to say, though, and it sounds ridiculous at first, but the way that the justices talk about themselves. I wouldn't be surprised if they wind up saying things like that going forward. I mean, it's 
almost becomes sort of like a Stockholm syndrome at some point, especially if you're the dissenters who are going to be in the dissent for three decades. When they talk about themselves in public, they talk about how, you know, they can have differences of opinion, but they're still friends at the end of the day. I think we see it getting a little chippier in some of their written work, and that's not necessarily something new. And so this is a piece of that. I don't think it's something that just came out of nowhere. It's part of an escalation, I think, and we're just seeing what's maybe the the climax of that or heading towards that. So I don't know. I don't think it really affects the justices themselves at the end of the day. They have life tenure. They've sort of convinced themselves that they need to live in this sort of walled-off way where they're collegial with one another by necessity, and they probably do find ways to like each other. These are people that are fairly similar professionally, part of a relatively wealthy lawyer-type class of people. And so at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to so much affect how they work with one another. But again, this still goes back to the initial question of what side is this coming from? That's really what colors the whole picture. And so I don't know, but that question I think is what really would drive everything else. And we're going to be asking that question later this week and uh, onward. Uh, But for now, we'll have to leave it there. That was Kimberly Robinson and Jordan Rubin. And for the latest, follow along with us at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening. We chanted, we work, we work, and then we hit a gong. We'll take you inside the company with interviews from people who helped build WeWork and exclusive tapes of internal meetings. None of us want to look back and say, I could have done more. This could have been bigger. This could have been better. That's not acceptable. You do not get a chance like this again. None of us do. This is a new podcast from Bloomberg Technology called Foundering. Foundering. 